Welcome to the Got Your Six podcast. This podcast brings together current service members and veteran high performers to share their methods, strategies, and ideas delivered in an informative and most importantly, actionable way that'll help you lead yourself and those around you from the battlefield to the boardroom. Coming to you every episode, I'm your host, Tony Nash, and into the breach. Nothing mentioned on this podcast is an endorsement or opinion of the Department of Defense. I got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. I got your six. Sixers, what an unbelievable treat today. We are joined by someone who wears, I mean, they could have a house full of hats at this point with all the different roles and jobs and things that they do. But I think the number one title that she wears is mom. Lisa Jaster, one of the first female Ranger graduates is here today. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the Gotcha 6 podcast. Thanks for having me, Tony. This is awesome. Where I want to start is, you know, especially going through Ranger school and all of that, you know, we look to like people in special operations. There's always a war movie that comes out and there's always a hero. Who would you say is the hero of your story? The hero of my story? Yeah. Like, as in the person I want to be when I grow up type thing? Yes. Yeah. I actually had a uh, company commander back when I was a young lieutenant. And oddly enough, like I, I really harp on the fact that you've seen the delete the adjective stuff and male or female doesn't matter. But I had this female company commander that was able to be a badass, but empathetic. And it, I'll tell you exactly what she's like. She's now a general, um, General Stephanie Ahern. She's a West Point graduate. And her maiden name is Arnold for, for West Pointers who might know her, but her and her husband were Captain and Captain Ahern. And we would have Officer PT on um, the NCO training days. So Thursdays was sergeant's time training back in the old army 20 years ago. And the NCOs wanted the officers to have nothing to do with them. So the officers would do PT with Captain Ahern. And then she would make us come to her house, not all the time, but most of the time to get ready. And we would eat chow together away from any other soldiers. And you know how that works. It's, she lived on base. Her husband was there. There was one shower, five lieutenants. So, you know, there's a lot of really random and awkward moments of, you know, when you're tying your boots and getting your uniform on and stuffing a pancake in your mouth. And I thought at the time it was such a typical girl thing to do. And I thought, ugh, I don't want to be the mom when I'm a company commander. But then when we deployed to Iraq, actually we went to Afghanistan right after September 11th or not too long after that. And straight from Afghanistan, we came back literally knocked the dust off our boots and went to Iraq and we were so tight. And to this day, I know I could drop a line to any of those former lieutenants, you know, all field grade officers, general officers. Now I could drop a line right now today and they would have my back because she let herself be vulnerable enough to bring Stephanie into being Captain Ahern. So in a really weird way, you know, there's no superheroes, there's no actors or actresses. General Stephanie Ahern is by far the person who, if I could grow up to be just like her with that level of confidence and wherewithal, I would be doing really, really great in life. Like that would be success in my story. You talked about vulnerability. How do you bring that in now to all the different things that you do? How do you continue to find a way 
to be vulnerable for you? You know, vulnerability is this really hard topic because as a female, women shouldn't cry in uniform, of course. And of course, that's always directed towards women. But, you know, men do it too. I get it. I've definitely cried in uniform. Yeah. If you went to basic training, you're like, okay, yeah, at some point in time, I cried. Oh my God. But, you know, being vulnerable was frowned upon, but that's not the army anymore. You know, it's, I was commissioned in 2000. I have a break, five year break in service. So I've been in the army 17 years between active and reserve time, went to West Point in 1996, cadet basic training. And over all that time, you know, we were looking at the patents of the world. But now we study leaders that are agile, that are vulnerable. And what I really, really love is in, I'm a partner in this company called the Talent War Group. And with, with my partners, I've got, you know, a former Marine, a former special ops sergeant major, a linguist, and a former Navy SEAL. And we talk about vulnerability in the office more than I've talked in any of my civilian jobs because we understand that being able to let your guard down allows you to put your guard up. And that's what people don't understand. You have more chinks in your armor if you're trying to make yourself tough than if you're actually showing the people who have your back, the ones that have your six, where those holes are in your Swiss cheese. You got to study the game to understand it. So then what leaders are you studying currently or leader right now? So I went through a patent phase in 2018 during my last deployment. Everyone has at least one phase. Yeah. Right. Well, he's so quotable, right? And he's such an incredible man, but his leadership style is not applicable to our current status. Maybe it will be again. And he's got a lot of great nuggets, but they can't be applied the same way that General George Patton applied them. But President Lincoln had such a creative way of building um, consensus. He brought his enemies, his former rivals, into his cabinet and gave them key positions, not because he was trying to get people who thought he was great, but he wanted people to tell him, hey, you're wrong here, or you need to look at this topic differently. And that's something that's, it's so hard. In the social media world, how many times do you block or defriend somebody because they don't think like you? Well, we need to be doing the opposite. I'm a member of a bunch of groups that I don't politically or even socially align with, but I'll go through and I read the comments. I say, always read the comments. I look at those comments and think, oh my God, their foxhole isn't even on the same battlefield as mine. And it really helps me understand Maslow's hierarchy of needs is the same for everyone. And if we can get down to those rudimentary issues that everybody's attacking, rather than saying, well, you're an idiot because you're a Trumpster or you're a Biden supporter or you're an I'm with her or you're, you know, if we keep looking at these big, bold statements and we forget to look at those underlying arguments that come from the position you started at, We're going to continue to be really divisive. So when it comes to leadership, I want to be more like President Lincoln than probably anybody else right now. Yeah. What is your favorite Lincoln story that isn't talked about enough? I read Team of Rivals, which if you don't have like a month to read it, get the audio book because it is long. And if you stop reading it, 
there are too many people and too many actors in the book to actually get the point of the story. But, you know, the whole fact that he built his cabinet off his former competitors and, and that, that I didn't understand. We talk about the civil war. We talk about the assassination. I've read Bill O'Reilly's Killing Lincoln. I've read a couple other books, but Team of Rivals, when the fundamental line that went all the way through the book was President Lincoln was constantly sitting down with people who disagreed with him and said, hey, tell me why you disagree with me. So there's no one specific story, but it's this underlying behavior he had that no one else, no one else seems to have either before or after him. When you do that with other people, how do you kind of level the playing field, right? Because you need to be able to get away from small talk and go into deep talk very quickly. How do you kind of start that conversation with someone else? So really, we're talking about diversity here. And we're not talking about... So when people think of diversity, they think of this beautiful cornucopia. I'm going to take two apples, a pear, a pumpkin, and make this pretty design. And it's all different colors, all different shapes and sizes. And that's how I'm going to focus on diversity. What I want is diversity of thought. But being able to get an innovative and proactive group that it has diversity of thought, something has to be similar. You cannot have a conversation where you have no shared background, no shared history, no shared culture, and no shared thought processes. So you have to have one of those things. So sometimes it's conservationism. I was talking to an environmentalist this last week, and we didn't have much in common, but I'm a hunter. And they're not necessarily a hunter, but they, they were talking about the environment. I said, oh, this is easy. This is why I think hunting is environmentally friendly. Like the turkey that walked in my backyard isn't and, and happened to be in my pressure cooker by the end of the day, wasn't wrapped in plastic and wasn't processed, wasn't um, shot up with hormones. And it was a way to have two people who were really polar opposites on a few different discussion points to say, oh, wait a minute, we're both concerned about the environment just in very different ways, and then start a conversation about something that was much deeper. No, absolutely. And that, that goes to like one of your like key themes is like, there's no quitting, right? So just because you can't find at least an initial conversation started, there, there's something there, some way there's some sort of connection. How do you transfer that? Because I know you're a big fighter, right? You, you were on the martial arts team at West Point while you were there. You got fights coming up. How do you transfer that level of like trying to find and understand emotional intelligence to the mat? Obviously, some people would be like, oh, you're either like this brute kind of force object like, or just like looking to punch a hole through things. And then we're also talking about like emotional intelligence, which is those two usually don't connect. How do you connect those two together? You know, I'm in a really, really blessed place in my life, Tony. And that's because I, I do work from home quite a bit with my talent management and executive coaching. I'm traveling a lot, but when I'm at home, I'm able to go to the 8 a.m. class or the during the day classes. And so I'm able to train with a lot of people who are on the San Antonio police department. And they are the perfect example of what you're talking about, but because they have to be physically tough. They have to be, that's a requirement of their job. If somebody walks up to you and they're not a force to be reckoned with visually, it's hard to respect them when they're in uniform. And that's tr as true for you and I as members of the U S military, as it is for the police department, but their job is 90 to 95% emotional intelligence. They have got to be able to walk on a scene and see a, a battered spouse or an abandoned child and be a nurturer and then be ready to switch immediately from that 
into warfighter. And then they have to be able to regulate what level of warfighter they're bringing because the situation, it's not like us. When we go to combat, we have a designated enemy or we're doing civil affairs type operations where our goal is to not be in warfighter mode. It's to be, you know, win the hearts and minds of people. We get to put one of those faces on, but with somebody like the SAPD, they have to have all of those in the basket at the same time. And I think um, going back to your original question or the original point you made is knowing that I have the switch to flip. And, and I'll be really honest. I fight sub 140 pounds. I'm 5'4 on a good day, 5'6 with heels. And still a badass. Yep. And I, but I don't look very tough. So, you know, I'm not intimidating and I don't have a huge switch to flip. But to know I could do a double leg if I had to makes it makes me a little bit more confident that I can approach somebody softly because I have what I have in in my kit bag. And as you talk about your kit bag, right, especially as a fighter, um, I mean, really, like you're a learning leader, right? You're, you're very open about that constantly. Where are you right now in terms of like what areas filling your passion in terms of trying to learn or understand better? I make a very deliberate effort to fill multiple buckets. So again, I'm in a really blessed position. I've got a 10 and 14 year old. And um, so we're raising them in a very Christian community. So I'm not a good Christian in the fact that you're never going to hear me preaching, but I try to live where I'm accepting of all. I'll reach out. If somebody reaches out to me, I try to reach back um, if I can. So, and I definitely want to go to church and donate. So I try to donate blood, platelets, or hair. I donate hair every 14 to 16 months. So you can see it's getting really long and ratty, but that's, I started it after ranger school. And once I, once you shave your head once, then doing it every year and a half is no big deal. But I try to donate and be be part of the community, and that's that's my spiritual side. Um, I have a paper book. I've got one in the bathroom. I've got one on my nightstand, and then I've got my digital book that I can read. Um, those are usually one of my buddies that's too lazy to do the audibles, so they send me a, a paper copy, and I download it on my phone, read it there, and then I've got audible books, and I've got an audible book that I listen to with my son. I've got one I listen to with my daughter. I've got one I listen to with both of them, and then when we go on road trips, I've got one that I listen to with my husband and the kids. And then of course I have my own. And so that's kind of the mental, you know, one of those books is academic. One of them is usually leadership based. And one of them is just, just good old fiction that makes you laugh and maybe makes you uncomfortable sometimes. And then of course there's the physical aspects of it. And for me, I find that I drone in the gym unless I have a goal. So tomorrow I'm doing a jujitsu tournament. And then in three weeks I'll be competing as 50% of a team at the tactical games, um, which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's CrossFit with guns. That's the best definition I've heard of the tactical games yet. CrossFit with guns. Yep. And, you know, but, and I still try to be uh, not too uptight. So I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer by degree. I'm an engineer by, by MOS as well. And so we had to pick a name for our tactical games team. The, uh, the woman I'm competing with is 30 and uh, her husband's my age, maybe a little older. So I called us uh, Cougar and Kitten and I'm the 45-year-old Cougar. I love it. That's phenomenal. No, as you said too, right? Like you're going through and filling all these different buckets and it, it forces you to 
really make sense of what is important to you in time and space. Because like you have these moments where you're continuing to learn, but it's not in a selfish like opportunity. You're finding ways to incorporate all of those that mean something to you into that same learning. And I love how there's like a group book for any time you guys are in the car. What's the book right now? So my personal book is Pillars of Salt. I don't know. It's like a 40 plus hour book. I want to grab my phone and look because I feel bad that I don't remember it. And my son's book is some sort of, it's a video game where they talk through the video game. Like, hey, I, I press in the air and the screen pops up. Really weird. And my daughter is doing some sort of mystical witches. But the coolest thing is, I didn't know what a tome was, T-O-M-E. And it's, it's an old word for book. And when you're talking about witchcraft, they have the old books or tomes. So my son had to do a project for school and it was for his literature class. He had to make a game that was literature based and he called it Tomopoly instead of Monopoly. And it was Monopoly based on books, but he got it from this immature witch's book that my daughter listens to on audiobook. It's growth, right? Always finding those opportunities. Yeah, it's dope. As we talk about learning too, you're taking in all this information and we learn a lot from not, really not a lot from success. There is, there is some, but we learn from failure. What failure would you say you're most grateful for? You know, um, I actually got in trouble at West Point and it's definitely not something I'm proud of, but I did get myself in quite a bit of trouble, got myself on room restriction. Um, for people who don't know that West Point is this great place where you put a 4,000 college students in a four block radius and then expect them to act like extremely mature old people. No boys and girls in the same room with the door closed. Uh, at the time, we didn't have phones. I mean, it was it was challenging. So You had the CQ phone you all had to go to. Yeah, that's how I found out that I was having a little brother um, was at the CQ phone. So that's fun. So I got in trouble. And at the time, I thought my life was over because I wanted to be this perfect cadet, this perfect you know, only a perfect cadet could be a perfect officer. Of course, now that I've read books about Patton and all the other generals, I know better. But um, I thought I had to be perfect. And it was the world's greatest failure. Because what ultimately ended up happening is I became an empathetic leader. Because I know I'm not a bad human being. I made a mistake in accordance with the rules that I signed up for. But that didn't mean I was a bad leader. So, But it also didn't mean I was a good soldier, but... So in my leadership style, there's nothing I hate more when, you know, you get a platoon star and he's fighting for his soldier when they come in for an Article 15 or disciplinary action, if you're not familiar with Article 15s. So they're coming into the boss. I'm the, I was the old lady recently, um, battalion commander. So, you know, they bring, they bring their soldier into the old lady for disciplinary action. And they're like, yeah, he's a good soldier, but he went drinking and driving. No, a good soldier doesn't drink and drive. But you can say... His record previously was that of a good soldier and he can get back there. And my incident gave me empathy to those types of situations. Had that not happened to me, had I not made bad choices, I think I would have looked down upon soldiers who made mistakes when they were young. And, you know, we still make mistakes when we're older. And I think that's made me a better parent, but it's definitely made me a better officer. And then in corporate America, it's helped a ton because you understand that not everybody has a West Point or the military saying, here's your left and right limits. And people try to navigate that stuff, 18 to 22 year olds. And 
not drink too much in college and not become a parent at 19 years old. I mean, those are, those are real challenges. What do you do when you, you might almost get caught up in the moment too, because you, you are an empathetic leader, but with all the different noise that you're receiving at one time, you're going to have to make a decision. What is kind of the go-to for you to just be like, hold up, Lisa, we got to just do this thing real quick and then we can actually make a decision. I think a lot of it is, so I'm, I'm definitely a list taker. So I'm very pragmatic. I am an engineer. So I have had to learn to be emotional through my own failures in the past is understand that other people are whole beings. For a long, long time, I was, I was an officer. And if I had home life, that was for home life. I didn't even set it as a lieutenant. Hey, if the army wanted you to have a wife, they would have issued you one. And I've said that as a leader. So I've had to learn to be an empathetic leader, but that does mean when I'm in those high stress situations, I don't get, I don't get that anxiety. I don't get that stomach bubbles, but sometimes I have to stop and force myself to understand that other people are emotionally involved in this situation. And I'll take it to a a different realm for non-military. I'm a hunter. I still, to this day, it's really hard for me to get buck fever. I can see a monster animal and I'm sitting there with my bow holding my breath so I don't scare him away. And I do not get that big anxiety until the event is over, which is good in a leadership role sometimes. But when you have time for the emotion, not when you're drawing your bow back, not when you're you know in Iraq crossing a danger area, but definitely when you've got a young soldier who's life is falling apart in front of them, I have learned that I need to take the breath and actually take more time to make those decisions. Yeah. Create an opportunity for that tactical pause. Ah, my favorite tactical pause. Yes. Yes. Good one. You know, that's how you get better than yesterday. Speaking of which, uh, as we get to the end of the episode, and this has been just a terrific conversation, I have to ask one last question. Lisa Jester, how are you better today than yesterday? Well, right now I'm better because I'm, uh, I'm cutting weight. So I look so much better today than I did yesterday morning, <laughs> all dehydrated and stuff. No, but, um, in all honesty on my flight yesterday, and, and I know you didn't mean it literally yesterday, but I had an opportunity on my flight. I could watch a rom-com or another really cheesy Halloween movie. So I love horror movies and I love rom-coms. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. It's just who I am. I could watch another movie or I can open up my Harvard Business Review, and which I carry with me on every flight. That's, that's my drug of choice. I love HBR. And I read some articles with Harvard Business Review and I ripped pages out. Like I'm never going to keep the magazines. I'm not that girl. But I ripped pages out and I circled them and I took notes and I thought, how can I apply this in my work with the Talent War Group and as an executive coach? And specifically, they were talking about work-life balance, which was a subject I... Uh, I gave a speech about two days ago at AUSA and it's something that's real near and dear to my heart because people, we all believe that work and life are separate. Okay. Well now I can, I can use that 35 minute flight from Houston to San Antonio to read three or four articles and take notes and build on the experiences that I can't live. I I got to read other people's experiences and put things into my kit bag that there's no way I'm never going to go back to being a junior hourly employee working in a gas station. Like when I was 18. So to understand that I'm going to have to read about it. And that's how I literally got better today versus yesterday. But it's that it's 30 minutes 
40 minutes every day. So a little less Facebook, a little less TV, maybe even a little less sleep, but readers are leaders. I, I know you've heard me say that before. You know, spend 30 minutes in the gym. If you don't have time to check your emails and work out, get your smartphone and check your emails while you're on a bike. Fix yourself a little bit physically, mentally, or spiritually every day, minimum of 30 minutes. And suddenly you look back and you're like, oh my God, I have run a marathon in a year. Usually I would ask like, where can people go to find out more about you? And we'll get to that in a second, but we have something monumental coming up in January. And I really want you to talk about it, which is just absolutely incredible. You have a book coming out. I do. That's so cool. It is. It's, it's been a long time coming too. So as you started the show off, I went to Ranger School, one of the first women to graduate. Um, it was a really fun experience for me. And I took a lot of notes. And I didn't take notes because I was going to write a book, even though even by the end, everybody's like, you're going to write a book. But I took it because unlike most of the people there, to include the men, because the average age is like 22 years old, I was leaving children old enough to understand that I was leaving them. And not only did I, I leave my children and my husband who was in battalion command at the time and my really nice job with Shell Oil Company. But uh, I also did it. I was volunteering to do it. But then my family and coworkers had to read the media. And the media wasn't nice to those of us who decided we wanted to toe the line and enjoy, uh, enter the arena at Ranger School. It was not nice to us, which, you know, that's really hard on a husband. I'm sure it's hard on wives as well, but I don't know many women who had to go through that. So it was really hard on my family and, and I, I volunteered and left to do that. So I wrote, I wrote notes daily to them, to all the people who were supporting me. And then I would send them home. And when I got home, I had a trash bag full of random things that I had written from every, what MRE I ate. I saved a bunch of cards. I saved everything that anybody sent me. The only thing that I don't still have is a complete stranger who went to ranger school around the time I graduated from West Point, sent me his ranger tab and uh, I carried it in my breast pocket as a drive on tab. And my father, who is a 1968 ranger school graduate, uh, passed away almost within a couple months of me graduating from ranger school, about six months afterwards. And he was diagnosed with terminal cancer while I was in ranger school and in, in, in his casket in the breast pocket of his suit jacket is that drive on tab. So I won't talk about that anymore because I'll choke up and it'll be all embarrassing. But yeah, so I took, I took that trash bag full of stuff and made it into an obscenely long letter to my children so that they understood that the reporters knocking on the front door, people threatening me on my husband's work phone, leaving threatening messages about me to my husband, that there was a reason for all of that. And, you know, it's been seven years since I graduated almost to the day. It'll be seven years in two days. And um, it's kind of one of the reasons it's great to do a jujitsu tournament, right? I haven't completely lost it and, and put my foot in the, in the grave, but it's a, a story of my journey. And it's a story to tell people, Hey, there's people like me out there and, and we don't have to rely just on 50% of our population to fight our nation's wars. There's women out there who, who want to stand shoulder to shoulder. And um, there's no greater compliment than I'll share a foxhole with you. And I hope someday that some of these guys who don't understand why women would go to ranger school will read the book and say, eh, I might share a foxhole with this chick. 
Where can people go to find more about you and what you're doing with Talent War Group? So um, honestly, social media is the best right now. I do have a website, um, which has a link to everything I'm talking about to include Talent War Group. And that is simply deletetheadjective.com. But because as a soldier, soldier for life, yourself as well, Tony, you know, teach, coach, mentor is what we what we've been raised on. Um, people can reach out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I even have a Snapchat and a TikTok now. God help me, but I have teenage children, so I have to. Or even at army.mil in a military email. This is conversations like this is how we make sure that the next generation of leaders and followers are um, are doing it right or as right as they can without having to relearn our mistakes. So deletetheadjective.com is the best place to find out more about me, Talent War Group, and the book. But please, anyone who's inspired by my story, I would love if you would reach out on Instagram or Facebook primarily. Absolutely. And we'll make sure we link all the social media links in the show notes of this episode. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your strategies, your insight, your tactics. And of course, most importantly, thanks for having our six. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Hey, Sixers. Did you know the Got Your Six podcast is now streaming every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern on Wreaths Across America Radio, available on the iHeartRadio app, the Audacity app, and the TuneIn app. Just search the word wreath. You got something out of this? Be a battle buddy. Share with a friend, pass it along. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a review and give us as many stars as you think we warrant because we love what we do here at the Contra 6 Podcast. We're always adapting and evolving this podcast because of you, the Sixers. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. You'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers. But the lawyers would like us to remind you that the views, opinions, and comments expressed on the Got Your Six podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests to include current and previous Department of Defense employees and should in no way be considered the opinions of or endorsements on behalf of the Department of Defense or any of its components, divisions, contractors, or other current and previous staff members.